Marina Scorciani. I'm at Lottie's, and you're listening to Meet Us at Molly's, and I'm excited about today's show because it's going to rock. gonna be all sunshine and roses but I can promise it's gonna be a hell of a ride Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Meet Us at Molly's. This is episode 95. Today we are going to talk about episodes 15, so 415, 715, and 615. As always, I'm one of your hosts. My name's Gina, and I'm joined by Bryna. Hello, everybody. So we had the big crossover with Fire and PD this week. We also had Med, who had a really strong episode. Med's best episode of the season, by far. Yeah, for sure. By far, yeah, big time. Um, They had a lot of good stuff going on. And there were some crossover elements in that episode as well. We saw a lot of sightings from our favorite people out of 51. So that was cool. So we usually start with the news. We don't have any this yeah, time. Yeah, weird. We had some promo photos for the episodes airing this week, so for like episode 16. But, I mean, there's nothing too juicy about them. I think Will is wearing plaid. We noted that. <laughs> um, we think he might have borrowed it from Jay's closet. Not surprised. <laughs> Not surprised. Uh, PD, there were just some like squad goal type pictures of them kind of like charging down a hallway with their guns drawn. And then fire, it was a lot of them just kind of standing around staring dramatically, which is, you know, we love it, but nothing too juicy. No, promo photos, though, there, I was having this conversation with someone, not even about Chicago promo photos, but just, like, promo photos in general. Like, they're always so hit or miss. Like, sometimes networks will put out, like, two or three for a show, and then sometimes they'll put out, like, 20, and then sometimes it'll be, like, good promo photos that actually correlate with the episodes, and then sometimes it'll focus on one scene that was actually so minor that, like, you're like, what are these promo photos? I can't even use them, but... Yeah. Yeah. Promo photos are just always hit and miss for like every show, every network, not just one Chicago shows. Right. Yeah. So getting into med because we'll just jump right in. Okay. So like we said, you know, no news. We're just going to jump right in. This was a really strong episode for med. It was also really busy. There was a like... I started kind of getting the chance to rewatch it. I've, like, watched most of it. And, like, when I was rewatching it, I didn't think I realized, like, how busy it was. But, like, everybody had something going on and, like, something of importance for the most part. Big time. And usually the way the show is set up is that they'll introduce patients right off the bat. And then we just kind of follow their stories due to fruition. And in this one, I mean, we were still introducing patients probably into act two it was kind of it was really really busy yeah for sure but it it was really strong and i feel like it might have been really strong because we focused on something other than the ships yeah a lot of people asked us to talk about that i mean yeah it's kind of like on the one hand and allison g pointed this out in her email was that it kind of seemed out of nowhere and like it's odd that they take all these episodes and, like, build up with all the relationship issues with Manstead and Wrecker, and then they just, like, completely drop them. But, like, mm-hmm. on the same hand, I think that's kind of why this episode was so refreshing. Mm-hmm. was because we spent all these weeks building up with all these issues with so much tension in these relationships, and then we got, like, a week away from it. 
And I think it just gives everyone a chance to like, okay, take a breath, take a step back. And like, whether, wherever you fall on Wrecker or Manstead or whatever sex toy or whatever ship, it, this episode gives you a chance to like, take a step back and like reevaluate. And like, whenever those shows or whenever the show goes back to those relationships, I'm assuming next week, but like whenever this show goes back to them, like just, I think everyone's going to be able to like approach their side from like with a new perspective. And I think it'll just be good for everyone in this fandom. Yeah. And it's not a bad thing that they, you know, kind of, they, they didn't really drop all the shippy stuff. I think they, it's just an ebb and flow. You know, some weeks you focus on it, some weeks you don't. But like we've said in previous episodes, the ships on this show have become, like their relationships have just deteriorated so badly that it was nice to take a breather. Yeah, and I think and even not just, have like you said, writing. Yeah, I mean, well, so two things. One, I agree with definitely what you said. Like typically it is like an ebb and flow. Like not every week has to focus on a ship. But for this show because the ships have been such a focal point of just plot in general, it there hasn't been a lot of ebb and flow. So it's really just felt like every week there has to be something going on with a ship, which is why this week felt so weird and mm-hmm. so refreshing at the same time. But also, too, I mean, there was, like, a tiny bit of ship. Like, you could say, like, there was a little bit of, like, I mean, there was an old ship. There was, like, Robin and Connor for, like, a hot second that we're going to talk about. Um, and I lost what my second point was going to be. Oh, my second point oh, wait, was We're about- going to talk about that for more than a hot second. Yeah. I mean, we'll come back to that in a second. But my second point was we always talk about, too, how sometimes we would just wish that the couples wouldn't work together beyond the fact of, like, their storylines and what's going on with them romantically it's just so annoying week after week after week to see them work together. And for yeah. them, for everyone to be like paired up with someone different this week was just really nice beyond the ship it stuff. It was. And we got to see some, you know, we got to see a friendship in Natalie and Maggie. We don't see them be friends that often. I mean, we know that they're friends. It's just, we don't see their friendship outside of Maggie telling Will and Natalie to shut the fuck up. <laughs> it was good it was good uh yeah and so i mean i guess we'll start with the street fair because that was kind of where the big where a lot of the big action in the episode was happening so my first question here is who holds a street fair in the middle of winter in chicago is that an actual thing i don't know i don't know i mean obviously chicago winners are way worse than dc winners people still do hold like stuff out here in the winter um which i think is crazy but like the only i mean chicago is 10 times worse than here so i'm like i can't even imagine what it would be like there but yeah i thought that was weird like yeah it's weird it's weird what's even weirder is that maggie is out and about in this cold weather festival one week after a kidney transplant yeah that was like that scene, like obviously I knew something was gonna go wrong with her, and I thought it was interesting too. So Allison, in her email to us, was like, "I wish NBC hadn't put the blood on Maggie's sweater in the promo because then you were just like waiting the whole episode for them to like reveal why she was hurt." And I don't even think I remember that happening in the promo, but like 
it was kind of obvious that, like, something was going to happen with Maggie. Because, like you said, she's one week out after a kidney transplant. Like, come on now. Yeah. I actually didn't even notice the blood in the promo. I didn't uh, either. As to why they do that, you know, we've discussed this before, that it's not the Chicago people who put the promos together. It's NBC. Right. Well, and I think you could have, even if I had noticed it, I think you could have deducted from the promo at least that maybe it wasn't necessarily with her kidney transplant, but that she was hurt in the accident. Like, maybe it was, like, a little misleading, but, like, you could have just assumed that, like, because you knew the accident was going to happen, like, maybe Maggie got injured in the accident. So, like, you didn't know necessarily that it was going to be her kidney transplant. But I think once we saw that. super susceptible to infection after a kidney transplant? I would assume so. I honestly, I don't know enough about transplants, but like, I would assume so. Yeah. Well, I'm just surprised that she's like walking around on her own as well as she is, like regardless of the infection thing. But like mm-hmm. one week after a transplant, why is she not like using a wheelchair? Like she looked like she, you know, was down with a cold and then like back up and fine. No problem. Yeah, like, I had abdominal surgery in 2015, not kidneys, but, you know, it was still abdominal surgery, and a week to the day after my surgery, I was up and walking around just fine. I mean, I was up and walking down, uh, walking around, like, two, three days after, but I definitely was moving gingerly, and I definitely did not have the energy to walk around a street fair. I went to a movie, and even then, that was difficult because I was still really sore, but I definitely did not still have stitches i had staples but i had just gotten them out that day too so like she's walking around with stitches at a street festival yeah especially as someone who's a nurse like come on maggie yeah (laughs) Yeah. but then again i feel like it's always the nurses and the doctors who they're really great about taking care of other people but not themselves um Mm -hmm. i say this is someone who's been around you know who's lived with a doctor and worked with doctors and whatever, like, you know, they typically say, like, oh, yeah, we're, I'm fine. Like, I know what's going to happen. Like, if something goes wrong, like, I know how to take care of myself. But, like, still, you've got to take care of yourself before things happen. Yeah, and I had just automatically factored in a time jump when the episode started. I was like, we must be jumping forward a couple of weeks, not even thinking about it, until Maggie passed out. And that was like, she had surgery a week ago. What? Yeah. Crazy. What? So crazy. So that, you know, I don't know. Yeah. So the street festival happens. My one thing with the street festival, and this was probably like coordination with stunts and logistics and things. You didn't actually see the car, which I understand. Like that might have been a little too graphic, too disturbing. But without the context, I mean, without seeing the car, all you see are people screaming and jumping over and into things right and then you see the crashed car yeah you see the crashed car but you don't see the car like moving around so really when maggie's like natalie watch out jump out of the way it's is there a ghost is this like bird box where you don't see what's happening yeah that's an interesting point i hadn't thought of that but now that you're saying that like yeah it is kind of weird but i feel like Maybe it's not always med, and so I guess the crew's different, so maybe med isn't as used to some of the crazy logistics that, like, say, fire does. Um, But I feel like if fire can do that kind of stuff more often, then why can't med 
like be able to do it for this one scene, but I don't know. I guess it's a different crew, but still. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, and I mean, it's just minor, and I realize that that might be a little too disturbing to show on network television, but it still was a little odd, because, like, at one point, this guy goes, like, barreling through one of the stands, and I'm like, did he just, like, run and launch himself at it? Like, this is weird. Yeah, but I feel like you should at least be able to see, even if you don't want to show them driving through the fair, okay, fine, but at least let us see him, like, actually crash into the pole. Like, that's not too graphic for network television. I would, like, at least let us see that part so we can see, like, oh, okay. But instead, they just, like, by the time we see that, he's already crashed into the pole. And it's just, like, okay. Yeah. It just, it was amusing. I don't know. Um, Back at the hospital, you know, patients are coming in. They're flooding in. Yeah, they're, you know, and that's the other part, too, is that we see this festival. But then the numbers of, like, who's been hurt, who's died and everything, it's way higher for what it looked like at the festival. Yeah, and I think that's why it's interesting, too, that now that you say that we don't actually see it, because I think, yeah, you, I, I feel like you almost need to show something a little bit more with the car sequence to make it seem, like, as devastating as it actually was in reality. Yeah, yeah. What else turns out to be devastating is that the driver turns out to be a white supremacist. Ooh. Yeah, so, you know, they wheel him in, Monique finds anti-epileptics in his bag so will's just like all right he probably had a seizure he doesn't know like benefit of the doubt then dr charles and will are sitting with him and he's like oh yeah if i'm gonna die of cancer i'm taking them with me and i was like i was like eating dinner on thursday as i watched it and i like put the fork in my mouth and like that line comes up where he's like oh like don't be don't apologize like i meant to do that i like bite the fork and i'm like just like sitting there like biting the fork just like oh my god (laughs) Yeah, I was, like, stunned. And then, I mean, yeah, Will and Dr. Charles had their what-the-fuck faces. I had a what-the-fuck face. I mean, yeah, that took a turn. Yeah, I did not see that coming. I don't know where I thought this whole thing was going, but not there. (laughs) Not there. Yeah. That was kind of crazy. And that didn't really... I don't think that panned out into a long storyline. It was more so just, you know, we found out about it. It panned out more towards Jada's storyline than anything. Like it did. After that scene, it was like, okay, we never really heard anything about the driver again. Um, But then Mm -hmm. you go towards Jada's stuff, and it like goes into Jada's storyline. Yeah, and there were some little subtle moments in this episode that, if you really looked out for them, like I, I really enjoyed them. I just noticed them kind of on rewatch, but um, along the lines with this thing with the driver is that, you know, April comes in and April's like, we're transferring you to the jail. And he asks for the head nurse and April's like, I am the head nurse. And he makes a racial remark and April just, you know, very succinctly is just like, yep, that's right. And he wheels out and Will just gives her a nice little head nod of kind of like, thank you. of just like appreciation. And like, that was a really nice, like subtle moment. Um, and then there was a really subtle one that was like a blink and you miss it between Choi and Rhodes that we'll get to. Um, yeah, it was, it was good, but that was kind of an interesting one. But yeah, it did more turn out towards Jada's storyline because we got a lot of patience out of this festival, a lot more so than your usual, like three or four that come in. So we had Bowden, Brett and Herman sightings in this episode, which was great. Love that. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like typically sometimes you'll see 
sometimes Bowden, definitely you see Brett a lot on med, but like I feel like we never see Herman on med, and it was just really nice to see Herman on med. Yeah. Yeah, it was nice. It was cool that Bowden was calling the shots because it was just like, oh, this is so normal. Just Yeah. How crossover should be. Normal. But we'll get yeah, there. Yeah. But we'll get there. This is the normal way things proceed on these shows. There's an accident, the doctors help, Bowden shows up. Boom bam. Take it over. Yeah. Normal. Yep. All in a day's work. Uh, so let's get into some of these patients that we got out of this accident. Because, again, we got a lot, like more so than usual. So we got Jada. Now, Jada was an 18-year-old brought in. Uh, she pretty much took a direct hit from the truck. And it turns out that she's brain dead. Mm-hmm. And the question comes up about donating her organs, but the mom doesn't want to when she finds out that they could go to anyone. Because she worries. She's like, you mean her organs could go to a racist, kind of like the guy who did this to us. And it brings up an interesting point. Here's my thing, though. I mean, granted, I guess then they don't have their plot. So, like, I this is probably about to be, like, a non-thing. But, like, isn't direct donation a thing? Targeted donation, yeah. Yeah. And, like, Connor kind of asked... For his patient. So, like, and who, I mean, I guess he's white but and male, but still, like, why didn't they just ask about, like, a direct or targeted donation to Connor's patient? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it might have been because he was white. Right, and I'm assuming it isn't obviously, like, if they don't, then they don't have their plot. So, like, I get, like, why the writers didn't go there. But, like, that was something that crossed my mind. I was like, we could have probably done or at least seen about a targeted donation and probably just, like, had, a, like, a moot point. But it was something that, yeah. like, did cross my mind. I think it was just because of the proximity between them that Connor was after it. Because since they were, like, right across the hall from each other and that guy had jumped to the top of the list. Well, and... They had the same blood type or whatever. So yeah. it was, like, at least worth looking into. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, I was just – the targeted donation thing was something that crossed my mind. I was like, that is a thing. But, I mean, I know why for television's sake it didn't happen. But It's also worth mentioning that this was an example where Connor was after something and he wasn't an asshole about it. Yeah, and he didn't overpush, like, when it didn't necessarily go his way. Yeah, and I mean, I guess that's the difference between him going up against a patient or a patient's relatives versus going up against a doctor. But it was a good way to show Connor getting what he wanted and still maintaining compassion. Yeah. And being professional. Agree 100%. I think this is where... Like, one of those moments where you were like, wow, Connor is actually a good doctor. Like. He is, yeah. He's good at what he does. He's kind of better as a lone ranger. Like, he operates better when he's by himself. Yeah, I mean. And I don't mean, like, operate, like, surgically operate. I mean, operate as in, like, function like a human. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, still, kind of problematic just because you feel like you have to be able to work with people in life and you know you can't just 
operate by your lonesome, but yes, he definitely does. And if this means that Connor's patients are going to benefit from that, his compassion, if he operates on his lonesome for right now, okay, go for it. Don't want it forever, but go for it for right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, granted, how would the tables have turned if this mom had stuck to her guns and said no? Because, you know, he goes to Goodwin, Goodwin goes to the mom, and the mom says no. So Goodwin goes back to the mom later, and then she finally agrees. But would Connor have reacted the same way if she had said no a second time? Ooh. I don't know. Because he has circumvented Goodwin before. Right. And that is just typical men fashion for doctors to circumvent Goodwin and patients' relatives a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think maybe not at first. Like, I think he would have taken the second no. And then if his patient continued to take, like, more of a drastic spiral down, maybe... He probably would have found some way to get around it, but I don't know. Hmm. I think right now I'm in such a good place with Connor that I like want to give him the benefit of the doubt and say he wouldn't. <laughs> but then I also look back on med history with just like every doctor in this hospital and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so, I mean, that was a really good storyline, and it was really good for Connor. I mean, it was heartbreaking, but it was really, really good for Connor, so that was good. The other heartbreaking patient, this one was even more heartbreaking than the first, was the off-duty cop. Oh, my God. I know. And it was so little, too. Like, we didn't get into, you know, great, crazy details about their lives, but it was just the, the Three or four scenes they had throughout this episode were so powerful. It was just heartbreaking. Yeah, and I think it was kind of supposed to echo. I mean, it was kind of echoed a little bit of, like, Dr. Charles stuff and, like, his relationship with his mom, but also his relationship with Robin a little bit. So, like, it kind of all circled around Dr. Charles. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, this scene, man. <sighs> Tears to my eyes. Oh, my God. Yeah. And that first scene when they wheeled the dad in and he was like he gave him the whole speech about being brave. Like that was sad. Uh, Dr. Charles with the kid, like explaining that he's like, no, the doctors are helping him. You know, see, this is helping him do this. That's helping him do that. Like Dr. Charles was being so good with kids, of course. I mean, he I, I like that he treated this kid like an adult. He was what, eight, ten. And yeah. Dr. Charles still was like, OK, we need to be honest with him. Like that was awesome. But that last scene, when they walk out and all the cops are there, just, oh. Oh, my God. In the feels. My heart. I know. My heart. Gosh. And then he was wearing the badge and he looked at Dr. Charles and he was like, I'm going to grow up and be brave just like my dad. All the tears. All the tears. Also, Intelligence will have a new member in season 20. Just <laughs> be ready. Yeah, it's going to be, be the same class. It's going to be – this kid is going to be working with, like, Nathan on fire. And, you know, just, like, they're all going to be operating, like, the same same time. Yeah. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> One Chicago, the next generation. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, though. Watch, like, Owen Manning is going to get interested in, like, police work or something. Oh, my and God, yeah. He'll be on yeah. – 
Owen Manning will be on PD, and, like, Terrence Bowden will become a firefighter. Griffin uh, will come along. back from Florida, wherever he was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Terrence Bowden will be a candidate at the same time that, like, Owen Manning's at PD. And then, like, little Nathan's on the squad as well. And Wait, then, like, why is Owen going to not be a doctor or a paramedic? Why? Because, oh, that's that's true. That's true. But if he's a paramedic, then he's on fire. So we need, yeah, so maybe Owen can be an up-and-coming med student or something in, like, season 20. Yeah, so we've got the med, and this guy will be, whatever his name was, he'll be on the take care of the PD portion, and then we got our fire definitely covered, so we're good. Yeah, we got Terrence Bowden, little Nathan. Griffin and Ben. little son. Griffin and Ben. Griffin and Ben. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Annabelle Herman, maybe she'll be, like, the next plot. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah. We got this. We've, we've cast <laughs> One Chicago, The Next Generation. You're welcome. Yes. You're welcome. You're welcome. So, yeah, that, that'll that be great. But, yeah, the cops walking him out. And, like, I, I think I'm pretty sure, actually, it's well, – I'm, I'm almost 100% sure that those cops walking him out are actual Chicago p- police officers. Probably. it's always – Yeah, usually yeah. – at least some of them are, if not all – I mean, if not all of them, but at least some of them are. Yeah. So – that was really powerful, really heartbreaking. Yeah. Elsewhere in the hospital, let's talk about Dr. Choi and Terry, shall we? Yes. Terry's gay. And not only is he gay, he is a person, he's a gay person of color. Yes. Representation matters. It so matters. It was so unexpected. I mean... I had no idea that this is where they were going to go, and obviously Toy clearly had no idea, but I loved it. I loved it, too. They did a great job revealing this because it was completely, like, aside. It wasn't something where they were like, boom, meet Terry. Terry is gay. They showed us so much more about Terry before they even mentioned this, and this was, like, the 20th thing that they mentioned about him. And, yeah, they just casually slipped it into an episode, and it was not one of the first things that they mentioned about him, and it was a really great way to reveal it. I know – I agree with that, and I think the fact that they waited – I mean, granted, there were episodes where Terry was MIA, and we were like, where the fuck is Terry? But the fact that we're on episode – what is this, 15? Yeah, 15 of the season, yeah. and we're just now learning about this, I think that was a really smart choice on the writers. So, like you said, like, show mm-hmm. – I mean – it is no big deal that he's gay you know love is love nobody you know it doesn't matter yeah. but um and i think that the fact that they waited so long just really highlights that i'm a little concerned about toy though yeah there were a couple moments where we were like what are they doing but it worked itself out i know it worked itself out and that you know i mean terry even says like i know the difference between bigotry and being caught off guard I'll be curious to see. I feel like, I don't know. I feel like that's going to come up again at some point. I don't know. I feel like why else bring it up now? I mean. Do you think Troy's homophobic? No, I don't know if it's that. But, like, maybe he grew up in a household where his parents were. Like, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like it was there for a reason. Because otherwise what it, and not because this is, I mean, there is a point to the storyline, obviously, but, like, beyond just now being, using this as a moment to tell us Terry's gay, like, why did they make the point of, like, 
kind of having Choi look like he was a little homophobic at least. I don't know. I just feel like it's going to circle mm-hmm. again. I mean, I I know that Terry's okay with it and that's totally fine. I don't know. I just feel like it might come back at some point. I don't know. Yeah. I was kind of worried at first because I was like, what are they doing with Choi? Like, please don't do this again. And then he was just, you know, Terry was like, no, you were caught off guard. It's cool. So I I, I want to give Choi the benefit of the doubt in this situation. I do too. I just, I am a little, it's in the back of my mind. I would like to think that being a medical professional would kind of make somebody a little more open-minded. You'd be surprised. Noted. I mean, well, because, not saying that I know anyone like this personally, but, you know, I mean, there are obviously doctors who are not willing to do certain medical things because of their views, like abortions and things like that. So just being a medical professional doesn't mean that you're more open-minded and there are no, that's I, very true well and i'm sure i don't know of anyone of course but like i'm sure there are definitely doctors out there who won't you know see patients of you know certain races or mm-hmm. you know treat someone if they were to find out they were transgender or anything like that like i'm sure there are doctors out there unfortunately yeah that no, are point. like that so mm-hmm. yes maybe in a lot of cases it can make a doctor more open-minded because you do get to meet so many different people of different backgrounds, but I think in some ways too, it can make doctors more closed-minded in some ways. Yeah. And I think it goes, I mean, we've seen it in med times and times again too. Like it can be same to vice versa. Like patients have issues with doctors because of the way doctors are and it doesn't make it, I don't know. It's just weird, but yeah, it's not always the case. That's what I love about this show is that, you know, it makes you think beyond, makes you think outside of the box, you know, it makes you think about things beyond your comfort zone. Yeah. It's the conversation. It's good. So, elsewhere, Robin's back. Yeah. Oh, it was so good. Okay. That hug was really good. I still don't know if I, like, really ship Robin and Connor. And, or if, like, Robin is Connor's person, and vice versa. But, like, that hug was really good. That hug said so much. Yeah. Without saying anything. Yeah. To me, it honestly kind of felt like it was, like, a moment of, like, Connor feeling like he can finally relax. And just, Mm -hmm. like, take a, you know, take a deep breath and, like, let it all out. And it kind of... I don't know if this is the case or not, but it kind of seemed like that was, like, the moment where he was reveling in the fact of, like, the last time he was actually truly happy. Very well may have been. Like, he, Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think you're right. There was definitely an I miss you in that hug. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Oh, for sure. So, I, yeah, I think you're right. You know, that might have been the last time he was truly happy. And, you know, she seems better now and... Maybe, yeah. I, I need to go back and rewatch that season where she was sick and kind of reevaluate how I feel about them. Yeah, I feel like I need to reevaluate, like, I need to rewatch the clips of them and, like, see their relationship unfold again. Because, like, season two, we weren't doing this podcast. So, like, and, you know, my relationship with Med at that point was, like, very up and down. So, like, 
I definitely did not watch season two as closely as I probably should. I mean, now for the podcast sake, like should know at least of things. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah. And that's why I'm saying like, I don't really know if I, I don't really ship them. And like, I don't know if Robin is Connor's person and vice versa, but like that hug said a lot. It really did. And if we, I mean, not that we should, we shouldn't really compare Robin to Ava, but it seems like Robin made him better. Yeah. Just, and not just she as brought a person. Out a soft side in him. Right. Well, and not just as a person, I feel like as a doctor too. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they were never competing against each other. They were in two different fields. Yeah. It wasn't toxic. Right. And I feel like with Ava, he can't help but compete with her. Yeah, because that's what their relationship was before it was an actual relationship. It was a, they were competitors. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ava was literally brought on this show to be his competitor. True story. True story. Um, That hug was the best thing ever. Um, Also, of course, Connor swoops in with a list of apps for Robin's mom. Like, what a charmer. Of course. Who would even think to do that, though? Like, Connor. What a guy. What a mensch. That wasn't even, that wasn't even his god complex. That was just him being an absolute charmer. I know. What a mensch. So good. And I, I ate it up. I was just like, oh, Connor, stop. You're being so cute right now. Quit that. Goodness. And then when he and Robin talked and he was like out of sight, but not out of mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So freaking adorable. Oh my goodness. So good. And then they made plans to catch up. Yes, please. Go yes. catch up. And then go make out and get back together so Connor can be happy. <laughs> yeah. Also, meeting Robin's mom and Dr. Charles's ex-wife. That was cool. That was really cool. I also just, and kind of going off of that too, because I do want to talk about like the end scene at when we finished the Robin stuff, like the end scene with Dr. Charles and his mom. But like, I also kind of loved how Goodwin was friends with Dr. Charles' ex-wife and how like she was at their wedding, like back however many years ago. Like I just, I love seeing that intertwined history between Dr. Charles and Sharon and how they're like this season, especially just becoming like BFFs. Like, or we're seeing more of their BFF dumb than before. I don't know. I'm making up things now, but you know what I'm trying to say. The line that got me that I absolutely loved was when, you know, he mentioned to Goodwin about he still hasn't spoken to his mom. And she goes, her loss. That reception was the bomb. Yeah, <laughs> I, was like, I, love yes. that. I loved it so much. I love seeing their like how deep their friendship actually goes, because I don't think in season one, like I would have ever thought they were. Act- I mean, obviously, I think we all knew that they had known each other for a while and worked together. But the fact that they were go so far back and like be as close as they were for like Goodwin to be at his wedding like be friends with Mm -hmm. his ex-wife like that to me is just like a very been a very cool revelation this season yeah and something else I was thinking about that didn't really dawn on me at the time is that you know when Dr. Charles and his ex-wife when they got married it kind of took a second to for me to realize but the reason that the mom probably didn't come is because it was an interracial marriage yeah which didn't, it took me a second before I was like, oh God, before I put that together. And so that brought up an interesting point. I feel like all the stuff with the ex-wife was like bonus because the way they hyped this was that, hey, Robin's coming back. Robin's coming back. Robin's coming back. Totally 
didn't even cross my mind. They're like, oh, we're also going to get to know the ex-wife. And we're also going to get to know a little bit more about Dr. Charles. So that was actually a really cool bonus. Yeah, and I think it's really cool, especially for this episode. I mean, obviously, you know, it sucks the reason that she is back is, you know, she's had cancer and it's coming back and it's even more aggressive this time. And we kind of dealt with it a little bit this week. And I'm sure, I mean, I know they're supposed to be in, is it this week's episode or next week's? This week. So, like, we'll see more of that storyline, I'm sure, and we'll learn even more. But, like, I kind of liked how they kind of introduced it, but, like, then it shifted gears into a different set of the story of their story um Mm -hmm. you know with the interracial marriage stuff and dr charles mom and so i thought that was also like well done um too yeah really well done we also got that robin and ava scene yeah i think they meant for it to be awkward but it kind of wasn't you didn't think it was awkward oh i thought it was awkward I thought I mean, it, was it was awkward like, on Ava's side. Yeah, it was awkward on Ava's side. I think they cut away from it right before it was going to get too awkward. Well, it's been, Go ahead. Well, because Ava was like, have you seen Connor? And Robin was like, yeah, like, we have the chance to catch up. And, like, Robin walked away and Ava made a face. And, like, if they had held on her for, like, a couple more seconds, then it would have gotten awkward. I still thought it was awkward. I still, on Ava's part, I still thought it was awkward. I thought it was interesting. So Allison G in her email, she was like, if this was a Lifetime movie, I'd be betting that that Ava and Robin scene is going to lead up to Ava doing something horrible to Robin. Please tell me I'm reading too much into this. Oh, I really, really hope that you are. I don't think they would do that, would they? I don't think they'd do something, have Ava do something horrible to Robin, but I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me to see more awkward Ava Connor Robin stuff in this week's episode. I just have this horrible vision of like Ava throwing Robin down a staircase, like dramatic lifetime style, like by the hair. A la Jane the Virgin. (laughs) Does that happen on Jane the Virgin? In some shape or manner, yeah. Someone definitely gets thrown down the stairs. Oh man. But Jane the Virgin is also a telenovela, so (laughs) then this is not so would really hope that they don't go that direction. Yeah, I don't think I would like to see them redeem Ava. I don't know if it's going to happen, though. I don't know what's going to happen. Like I said, I don't think they'll have something, Ava do something horrible to Robin. I think that's pushing it a little too far. But, like, Mm -hmm. I definitely don't think that scene was in there for nothing. And I think that's just the beginning of the awkward Ava, Robin, Connor stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah. Any other notes about Med? Can we talk about that end scene with Dr. Charles and his mom real quick? Yes, please. Yes. I thought that was, I didn't think we were actually going to go there. So when he shows up at the nursing home, I was like, oh my God, we're actually, like, not only did we just meet Dr. Charles' ex-wife, like, we actually met his mom. Yes. And I just thought it was interesting, too. I mean, obviously, he had said he hadn't talked to her for, you know, 30 years, I mean, since he got married to... CC is that his ex-wife's name? Yeah. CC. And so, but then he's, like, showing his mom, you know, the picture of Robin. He's like, I really want you guys, to, like, I'd really like it for you guys to meet. And she, I don't know, like, I just thought it was, like, this great moment. And I hope that it still works out and that once Dr. Charles' mom comes into the picture, she's still not having 
issues over the interracial marriage, even though they are not still married. And the fact that Robin is a, you know, by Robin is mixed. That's mm-hmm. the phrase I was looking for. Um, and I, so I hope that's still not an issue. I feel like it might be just because that's why I feel like this whole thing was introduced, but I really love that end scene. Yeah, that was awesome. Really awesome. I just, it blows my mind. Like 30, 35 years, they haven't spoken. That's, yeah. I couldn't imagine. Yeah, me either. That's crazy. So, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping the grandmother is nice and warm towards Robin. I don't know. She had a good reaction to her picture. That was the cutest picture of Micaiah Cox, by the way. Yeah. Well, I also wonder, too, like, I wonder if we'll get to see it on Robin's side. Like, did Robin ever ask about why her grandparents or her grandmother, like, wasn't in the picture? Like, like why she had never met her? And what did they say if that was the case? Like, it, it, there are a lot of different ways this can go. Yeah. So. Yeah. Really good episode for Med all around. Really, like really good. Med, I think it was Med's best episode of the season by far. Except maybe the crossover, like the first crossover. But that's just because that counts. That's like a different category. Yeah. Yeah. So any other notes about Med? No. Great episode. Great episode. It's crossover time. Crossover time. So... I think our text messages about the crossover kind of summed it up. So (laughs) we were like, we both, once we saw the crossover, we were like, okay, this was pretty meh for a crossover. It was pretty average. However, the story was really strong. Yeah. I think, here's the thing. I think they just hyped it up too much as a crossover. Because to me, in my mind, the word crossover means you're going to see characters from both shows appear on different shows. That did not happen that much this time. Like, Bowden, or not Bowden, Voight and Haley and Jay make, like, one appearance on fire. Well, Voight makes, like, two appearances on fire. Jay and Haley make, like, one. And then you go to the PD half. Cruz is there, obviously. And so is Casey. But beyond that... And isn't Sev there, too, at one point? I don't think so. I think it's just Casey and, and Cruz. I think Sev is in the background of that scene that Casey's in, but I could be wrong. Maybe, but like other than that, I mean, even then, Casey's only in that one scene. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, so to me, I don't know. It didn't classify as a crossover. I would have called it a, like a continuation of a story. But like you said, the mm-hmm. story part was really strong. And I think... There, for, both in the fire portion and in the PD portion, there are some things that are set up that I am assuming kind of take us, propel us towards like possible like finale arcs, yeah. um, or that are going to play out at least heading towards the finale. So story wise, it was really good. Crossover part, uh... yeah, I hear you, Brenda. You did the portion of the outline on this, and I want to get some water. So take us through the crossover. Yeah, so I guess let's start with the fire part. So mm-hmm. I let's talk about the case part, like the part of the case that happened on fire. So basically, last week we were really confused with the case because we saw we had seen like a sneak peek and we were like, "What the fuck? This makes no sense. What is happening?" 
this makes so much more sense now that we've seen it play out. And, like, basically (laughs) those descriptions were terrible, (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. is what I've decided. Um, But basically what was happening, you know, break-ins are occurring all over Chicago and in specifically, like, certain districts, but, like, really all over Chicago. And the criminals who are committing them are using lot boxes to get in. And basically someone from Engine 66 is second shift is stealing their key and handing it off to whoever is committing the break-ins and then it gets returned so it looks like it was never missing in the first place so i think it's safe to say we now have figured out the mystery of the lockbox right like we know how they function what they do what purpose they serve right so it's basically each engine or truck company or i would assume every truck engine whatever has a key that is like a master key that operates any lockbox that was issued by the Chicago Fire Department and those lockboxes hold whatever keys to whatever buildings they may be whether I would assume you could have one in an office building too depending on what kind of office it is Um, but like any kind of building that wants one can get one and if there was an issue of any kind, whether it be fire or any other kind of issue, fire departments can go into those lot boxes, get the keys, and be able to get into the appropriate doors necessary. So yes, yep, that is how <laughs> this works. It was just, it made no sense to me last week, and it makes all the sense now. So that's yeah, yeah. Um, and when I think it was also confusing, too, because we were like, so who steals the key? Like, what, how does this happen? Like, is it someone in the fire, like, in our firehouse? Like, we, like obviously, we didn't really understand the, like, other engine company pulling up on the scene and, like, how much of a role that was going to play. So we all kind of thought it was going to be, like, issue, like, or solely isolated in our firehouse. And it was like, huh? What? Like, that makes no sense. But, again, makes so much more sense now. So, basically... They think it's going to be it's someone from Engine 66 because they're always, it's in their district. They are late to show up to scenes sometimes. It happens, you know, with, in, always within their second shift. So they think it's an Engine 66 problem. So Voight wants to send Cruz over to be like a spy on Engine 66 because he trusts Cruz, you know, because they have history. Which, like, yo, nobody, Kelly was pissed. Kelly was like, you ain't taking my best firefighter? Like, what the hell? Oh, Kelly was so mad. And I thought about this, too. I was like, okay, well, why did he zero right in on a cruise? I mean, the only other person he's got history with is Casey. And yeah. if you can't take a captain and put him in there, that's just going to be weird. Yeah. Um, but I, th- I really, one of the things I thought was interesting was, like, the scene where Cruz is lying to everyone, except for Casey and Seb, obviously, about why he's leaving for, like, a shift or two, like, broke my heart, because 51 was so upset that he was leaving, even just for, like, 24 hours. Like, they're such a family. And I also loved how this whole thing, too, showed equally how important Cruz is just to how 51 operates and how he's like the glue of 51 and without him things just fall apart yeah yeah that was interesting and also i was like is that really a thing they do like if you mess up on shift you get transferred to another house for 24 hours i mean i would 
I don't know. That hardly seems like a punishment. What, getting transferred to another, like, a lower house? Like, you forgot a camera on scene, and now you have to go to another house for 24 hours? I don't know if that would happen, necessarily, but I feel like, I guess it was the most believable thing they could come up with. I don't know. That's true. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I mean, because, like, yeah, like you said, like, what would they... How far could they push the story without, like, until it became, like, unbelievable? Like, they had to come up with something that was, like, semi-believable. And I think it's no secret that Engine 66 is... I don't want to say a lower house, because I don't know if they're necessarily ranked like that. But obviously, like, 51 is a much more flashier house. You know, they get, Mm -hmm. like, a lot of... crazy calls you know they have obviously a squad and a truck and an engine whereas this one seemed to look like it just had the engine company so it's a less busier house and they were saying like we only seem to get like heart attack patients and whatever else i don't remember what other kind of routine call they were talking about but so i guess Mm -hmm. it could be considered like a punishment in that sense like oh you get taken off the flashy stuff and you have to go to like a more safe house for a couple shifts yeah, that's true. I did love that scene when they were telling Cruz that, you know, like they wanted him to go undercover and everything. And Sever, I just straight up was like, I don't give a shit about whatever pissing match you have between Grissom and this person. And Bowden's like, Severide. Like, unfiltered Kelly is the best thing in the world. Yeah, and he, he was unfiltered by far this episode and i'm pretty sure if this had not been on network he would have probably dropped a couple of bombs but you know oh i think if these shows were on cable Kev- severide would probably be like the sweariest of the sweary characters yeah he would fit in great on this podcast <laughs> and i think voight would be probably second in line or maybe they'd be tied for first as to who would curse the most yeah definitely be up there who do you think on med would curse the most Oh, geez. Okay, hang on, hang on. That's a good question. Connor. Yeah, I could see that. I feel like Ava drop yeah. a couple F-bombs, too. Yeah. 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 I think on PD, Voight would probably curse the most. Ruzik's definitely second, if not, like, tied for first. Yeah. Because, yeah. Crazy. Um... So I, before we talk about, like, the actual house stuff, I don't even know if I even mm-hmm. have the house stuff in this outline. I may not. Mm-hmm. But um, the Leon stuff, because that technically happens before Cruz shows up for his shift. I mean, yeah. very much a letdown. Yes. Big time. It was one scene. Like, I love seeing him back. But, like, what was the point of that scene? It was to show us that Cruz was going to get over-invested. Right, and I think to just be like, obviously, Leon has the history with Voight, and just to get it in Cruz's head that, like, shit can go wrong, you think this is going to be routine, but, like, shit can go wrong, and shit can go wrong fast, especially when you're working with Voight. Yeah. But, like, and I thought it was interesting, too, that, like, we only got the one Leon scene, especially considering how much they focused on Leon in the recap. That started off the episode. So I was like, oh, yeah, Leon's going to be a big part of this. This is going to be great. Like, they're showing so much of him in the recap. And then he was back for one scene. And I was like, okay. 
Mm-hmm. One scene. And even in the articles that we read beforehand, it just made it sound like, you know, Leon was going to have a part in this story that kicked off the crossover. Like, he was going to have something to do with the people at play. Yeah. I was like, what? Also, when the hell did he move back to Chicago? Thank you. Allison G. wrote us, and she said, because I had mentioned it on Twitter, um, she said, wasn't it after the last time his character was on the show, in the episode where Cruz slept with his married high school girlfriend, and he lied to Brett about where he was, wasn't the lie that he was over at Leon's new apartment helping him put together furniture or something like that? I That sounds vaguely familiar, but I feel like I just thought he was telling her a lie because he was trying to get out of there. Not that Leon actually moved to Chicago. Oh, I that, good eye, Allison. Good eye, because I don't remember that at all. I need to go back and look at that. Va- like, that sounds vaguely familiar that, like, he used it as an excuse to, like, leave quickly. Like, that sounds vaguely mm-hmm. familiar. But, like, I feel like if that... I feel like I probably was just like, oh, that's just an excuse. Because he just slept mm-hmm. with a married high school sweetheart girlfriend and you know wanted he realized that was a bad idea so he was trying to get out of there not that leon actually moved back to chicago like i have so many questions about this i would like to think that you know if he's just lying to get out of something he wouldn't completely make up the part about leon moving back and be like yeah i'm helping leon put together his new apartment and then brett's like where's leon and he's like florida right well and there's the whole thing you know like Especially because the reason Leon had to leave was so sensitive. Mm-hmm. And now this is like me way overthinking this. But I have a feeling the high school girlfriend, if she was of any significance, would have met Leon at some point or another. So like mm-hmm. probably not the person you should lie to about him coming back to Chicago if he's not. Like mm-hmm. just, you know, like little things like that. But yeah, I just have all the questions about leon's move back to chicago yeah same same i I mean i love it but like you know again when did he move back why did he move back has he met chloe do they hang out all the time like i just have so many questions yes i I didn't even think has he met chloe i'm looking to see right now if jeff lehman's on twitter because like we need to be friends with him if so but actually though but actually though i know but i did think i thought the whole i I thought it was a good scene between them. I just thought the hype wasn't worth it. Like, I really like, I mean, they had the whole moment where Cruz was asking him, he's like, what's worse than danger? And and Leon's like, living a lie. Like, I mean, I love Leon and I love that scene. I just was like, what was the point? Yeah, the, the point was to warn him, but I just, I'm, you know, this is, no, okay. I found Twitter for Jeff Lima, but this guy is a librarian at the Brooklyn Public Library. Is he on Instagram? I think so. Let me see. Well, let me see. The predictive text said something about his Instagram. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Because we have questions that he probably can't answer, but we're going to ask them anyway. Yeah. I'd still love to have him on regardless. That would be fun. Yes. So, Jeff, tell us everything you know about Leon. (laughs) (laughs) Please. Please. We have so many questions. Has he met Chloe? Is he a protective little brother? Please tell us. <laughs> yeah, but no. So I just thought, I mean, again, that was just interesting. It was like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So 
going back, because I definitely did not actually include the details of the first half of the case part for fire. But I could, mm-hmm. anyway. Basically, Cruz shows up. He's trying to figure out, you know, who is the person who's been giving the key to whoever and, you know, all the things. And there's a couple, you know, at first it looks like it maybe is, I forget his name, but the guy that shows up in the really nice car. Uh, Kehoe, I think is his name. Yeah. But then it turns out he's just actually rich and can buy the car himself. So he gets crossed Mm -hmm. off the suspect list. Then it looks like it's the captain, or I'm assuming he's the captain, um, because he's always on his phone, being really secretive. He kind of hates Cruz right off the bat, but he gets marked off the suspect list because, as it turns out, his wife's cancer just came back, so he's just, you know, in a really bad spot. And it looks like it was also, for a hot second, the girl, whose name I'm also forgetting, because Tedesco. yeah because she had forgotten her phone in the truck and so Cruz thought that was maybe an excuse and she was actually going to steal the key at that moment but she didn't and she turns out to be completely normal but the one person Cruz never thought it was going to be was Skuggs because he or Suggs not Skuggs Suggs because he was not on shift at the moment, it was stolen the last time. But it turns out he worked first shift and just gave it to them then. So It's always the nice ones. Always the nice ones. Yeah. And the whole, it's funny, the whole time this thing was going on, I was so worried for Cruz. I thought something was going to happen to him. And I was just like, leave Cruz alone. I was just like so worried for him this whole shift. I was and I wasn't. And I think... I think I might think that he, I think he would actually make a decent detective. Consensus among the fandom was that he was terrible. But I think with a little tough love from Voight, I mean, he could make a really good investigator because he was not shy. He just went right in and looked for clues. I think, yes, in that case, I agree with you on Cruz. But, like, Cruz has too too big of a heart and he gets too attached easily. That's where he couldn't do the job. And so Cruz sees Suggs giving the key to some guy in a car that he doesn't really see anything beyond that. And Cruz is smart enough to think to film it. I don't know if I would have thought about that right off the bat, but Cruz is smart enough to film it. And when Suggs starts coming back inside, Cruz drops his phone. Still, surprisingly, doesn't break, so he doesn't lose the video. But, and Suggs confronts him about it, and Cruz then confronts him right back about what he was doing, and Suggs freaks out. Mm-hmm. And he's like, it's not what it seems, it's not what it seems, like, I promise I'll get it back, you, you know, I'll get the key back, like, just give me a little bit of time, like, before you go say anything, like, give me some time, I can get it all worked out. And then it goes into the PD portion, but we'll hold off on that for a second because I feel like we got to discuss the fire, the rest of the fire half first. Yeah, there's a lot of fire stuff still. Yeah, so we'll save the rest of the PD half for a second. Mm-hmm. So basically, the, there's a couple, there's two other big things that happen in the fire half. There's the Grissom and Kelly stuff and then there's the Stella stuff. 
the Grissom and Kelly stuff was just really interesting because I didn't think Grissom was showing back up this episode. I thought it was next week's episode that he was showing up. So this was an interesting surprise to see Grissom and company show back up. Um, but I also kind of thought it was interesting, like, Kelly would say something to Grissom in the first half at least, and Grissom would just straight out ignore him. Straight up ignore oh, yeah. him. Grissom's like a teenage girl. Yeah. He really is, though. And, like, even when they were meeting in the room or whatever and, you know, Kelly would say something, Grissom was like, if we need to, if you still have any issues with that, we can happy to discuss, but, like, calm your shit. And I was just like, who the fuck are you, Grissom? Like, I know. what the fuck are you doing here? But then it took a turn that I think is... I'm still cautious about, but it, you know, was definitely a turn for the better. And Grissom comes back solely just to check on Kelly. And Kelly's like, what the fuck are you doing here? Like, we're in a, we're in a fight. Like, what are you doing here? And Grissom, you know, says, like, he's been thinking about Benny and just, you know, everything. And he says, you know, I know things have been tense with us and your chief and I aren't always on the same page which doesn't make things easier. But, you know, if there's anything you need, just say the word. Like, Benny would expect me to look out for you, and that's what I want to do. I call bullshit. There's something else there, for sure. That's why I said I'm cautiously optimistic with this. Well, also, I mean, think about the words that he's saying here. Benny would expect me to look out for you. Okay, so you're not looking out for him because you care about him. You're, you're looking out for him be- out of a sense of obligation? Right. No, thank you. Right. Yeah, I feel like there's going to be something else there, for sure. Like, this story is definitely not done. But I thought Allison brought up a really interesting point. She says, you know, Grissom has certainly done and said a lot of crappy shit, but I – well, she didn't say shit. I said shit. But I always thought <laughs> he still cared about Severide on some level since Sev talked about what a great mentor he was. Like, hopefully they'll continue to play that dynamic as well. Makes it much more interesting than just repeating the old someone is out to destroy 51 storylines. Which I agree. I mean, True. but I mean, technically Grissom at one point was out to destroy 51. But at this point, if he's coming back, I am glad that there is a new twist on it. And that he's not just coming back to, again, destroy 51. He's got some political motivations, though. I mean, he's commissioner. He's looking for something. Yeah. Well, in the whole, I mean, we'll talk about this when we get to the BD half. But, you know, the playing with price and, you know. Mm-hmm. that yeah the politics stuff is just a very interesting like overlay into the one chicago world yeah this season especially yeah that's what i'm saying yeah this season um and now that it's starting to trickle into fire it's it's interesting for sure mm-hmm. but then there's also yep. the other thing that i love though is so kelly was talking when grissom first showed up before he came back just to solely check on Kelly, he had mentioned it to something to Stella, like an offhand comment. She had asked about it and he was like, Oh, you know, whatever. Um, like didn't really talk that much about it. But then when Grissom came back and he and Kelly had that conversation, he like tells Stella that, you know, she was right on what she said. And I just, I love that Stella can read the Grissom Kelly situation like better than Kelly could. Like, Kelly didn't see it, and he was just like, okay, whatever. But then, once he actually, like, talked to Grissom himself, he was like, oh, right. Stella was right. 
I think Stella almost knows better, knows Kelly better than Kelly knows Kelly. Wait, say that again. You're probably right. Just say that again. <laughs> I think Stella knows Kelly better than he knows himself. Yeah, but I think that's one of the things that I love. Like, when a good relationship is good, like, that typically ends up being what happens. Yep. And I think that's why, I mean, Stella and Kelly are, I mean, granted, they're not together right now, but, like, that is why they are so good. It's because Stella knows Kelly better than, right now, almost anybody. Maybe an argument for Casey, but, like, she and Casey are 1A and 1B. I don't know who's 1A and 1B, but, like, she and Casey are 1A and 1B. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's true. Can we also talk about that very first scene when she's running in and she runs into shirtless Kelly? Oh my god, yes. So great. <laughs> she's like, you don't have to cover up. He's like, I wasn't. <laughs> and always just, You too. Any episode that starts out with shirtless Kelly is just like, gonna be a good episode. And he was being so smug about it too. She was like, it's nothing I've never seen before. And he's like, I wasn't covering up. I'm just putting my shirt on. <laughs> so cute. Love them. Love it. Um, but speaking of Stella, Stella's mm-hmm. got some new love interests. Possibly? Yeah. I, so, one, okay, couple things. One, is it me or does this guy look like a blonde Jimmy Borelli with scruff? I, I disagree. I think Jimmy Borelli was baby-faced and Keith is a grown-up. Well, okay, but yes. But, like, they look, there are a lot of similar features. Maybe. I, like, I don't couldn't know about unsee that. it. I, I, to me, he looks a lot like Stephen McQueen. I, like, couldn't unsee it. Um, again, it might just be me. But, like, I couldn't mm-hmm. unsee it. I thought it was true. But one thing I thought was interesting about this whole thing. So, obviously, basically what happens is on the call that started the whole lockbox thing, Kella – oh, my God, I'm trying to combine names here. Stella <laughs> – and goes and rescues this guy, Keith, from his bathroom. And he's naked, of course. Just has a towel on. But... That is unfortunate, man. Like, of all the times to be stuck in a fire, you're bare naked, bare ass naked in the shower. Like, that's I unfortunate. I know. It's really unfortunate. But, you know, she gets him out. He's safe, whatever. Like, I don't know how soon after this call happens. But, like, same day, Keith shows up. At the firehouse and wants to know if he can take Stella out. Stella's like, oh, you know, I'm flattered, but no, like, this is just, it's a thing. It's called a rescue crush. You know, you fall, quote unquote, for the person who just saved your life. And he's like, well, how many days would I have to show back up here to prove to you that, like, I think we could just have fun? And so she ends up relenting and they meet at Molly's. And then they end up going out a second time on some, like, day trip. Which I thought was interesting. Allison was like, how did we go from, like, not seeing him again to, like, we're going on a day trip out of town, like, awfully fast? Like, she's like, didn't anyone tell her during the whole Renee saga about Severide and Renee? Like, yeah, they did. For real. It's just like, didn't learn, I guess. Um, no, not at all. But, yeah, so we're, I mean, it, the episode ends, at least on this storyline, like, with her going out of town for the day with this guy. Um and I don't even know, I wasn't even paying attention necessarily. I mean, it was fast. That wasn't what I thought was interesting. To me, I wonder, is this going to be a hazmat Zach 2.0? There are two different guys. I don't think you can compare. I agree with Foster that Keith is adorable. 
I think the move with the craft beer was genius. That's pretty, yeah, that's a pretty good way to my heart, too, is craft beer. But I think they're two different guys. Like, Hazmat Zach is a little more... Well, but, I mean, you can't even compare, though, because we know nothing about Keith. I wasn't going to say in terms of, like, personality. I was more thinking in terms of, like, storyline and, like, where this storyline could go. Because, like, obviously with Hazmat Zach, you know, they met, they were hanging out, Zach really liked her, Stella really liked him, but then her friendship with Kelly kind of, like, ramped up a little bit more um, and got to more serious romantic-ish place and Zach felt you know that pressure and he could feel that then that was a I mean it was important to Stella but like he felt that that was like a thing that was happening and then Zach was ultimately not the biggest catalyst but like a big part in why they end up getting back together and so I just not necessarily again that Zach not that Keith is has met Zach and that like they're the same person, but just in the same storyline. Like, is Keith going to stick around long enough to get Stella and Kelly back together? Is more where I said in, like, terms of Hazmat Zach 2.0. Okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, I certainly hope so. <laughs> I certainly I, hope so. I'm sure Keith is wonderful. I'm sure he's a great guy, great guy just like Hazmat Zach. But come on. Like, Stella Ride, man. Stella Ride forever. Yeah. So that's more what I meant with, like, again, the Hazmat Zach 2.0. Not that he and Zach are mm-hmm. the same person, because they're not. But And then Jiffy Pop Culture just said, like, are we coming up with the ship name? Keith, Stella, Kella, Steve? He's cute. He is cute. Um, I don't know if I'd put a ship name on it right away. I guess if I'm picking one of those two, Kella, I guess. But, like, I don't think we're putting a ship name on them right away. Yeah, I'm not ready to do that just yet. Yeah. Um, so, let's see. Let's move on, I guess, to the PD portion of this. Let's do it. Okay. So, back to the Suggs stuff. Basically, so, Suggs went MIA because he was trying to, you know, figure out the whole situation and fix it before he got further caught and something happened. So basically, PD goes out and looks for him, and Cruz comes with them because Cruz can't not sit still, and he has to, you know, he wants to be there. And basically, immediately, as soon as they go look for him, he turns up dead. Because, of course, he did. And as it turns out, kind of make it a long story short, um, Suggs was a mentor to two kids who... Or just trying to get out of gang life. And basically, Suggs would use them, give them the key to rob places so that they could raise enough money to give to Cayman, who was the leader of the gang that they're in. And they all live in kind of the same apartment complex, so you can literally not escape this guy. And so they were trying to use it as, again, a way to escape gang life. They weren't just robbing places to rob places. Yeah, this, I mean, this story was so intricate and just very well layered. And yeah, this was a really, really strong story. Yeah, but God, I mean, so obviously, I mean, these kids, two kids, 
the first, I mean, they end up introducing the second one later on. So I didn't, we don't obviously don't have as much of an attachment to him, but like Jay is super involved in this case and he forms a bond with the first kid and like, God, the cases with Jay and kids just like, it hits you in a certain place. Yeah. I mean, and this kid just, the casting was perfect because yeah, this kid was just like, wow. Well, and he had those huge eyes, which it just, like, ever, so, like, every time he would do, like, anything with his eyes, he was just so expressive with them. And it just made me feel for this kid that, you know, like, I actually felt for, like, one of the cases, like, the victims of the case. Like, and I feel like yeah. very rarely do I feel that attached to someone who was involved in a case. But, like, God, I felt for that kid. And like the you could you could hear the panic in his voice at yeah. certain points and just how desperate he was to get out of that situation. And so I mean I think that kid's name is Brett Young. I think <laughs> it's Brett something, but he crushed it. Just these actors that they find to play these minor roles, like they always just bring their A game and it's just so impressive. Yeah, I'm going to see if I can look him up real quick. Gina, do you want to talk about Price real quick while I look up this kid so we can, like, actually give him yeah. proper credit? Yeah, so Alderman Price is back, and he comes to Voight. And I'm at the point with Alderman Price now where he comes along, and I'm like, can you not right now? Like, the grown-ups are talking. We're, we're, like, we're trying to solve a case here. Like, nobody has time for you. But he comes to Voight and basically just says, you know, he wants to clear Suggs' murder while preserving his name and he's got a deal with Grissom to do so because he basically he's trying to get CFD's endorsement for mayor. So he's saying, you know, let's solve this murder, but also preserve his name. And I think he like flat out said it to Hank at one point. He's like, I want a case that I can stand on a podium and say, you know, Suggs was a good guy. Yeah, he did. So, I mean, I appreciate the honesty, but at the same time, I'm like, Again, the grown-ups are talking. Like, we're busy. Can, can you not right now? Like, <laughs> stop. But at the end, it ends, you know, Voight kind of explains, we can't really do that. You know, you can't, we can't clear him and also make CFD look scot-free here. Like, we can't do that. And so Price is willing to forego the endorsement to help the kids because the title of the episode comes from Voight saying, listen, these are good kids and they deserve the chance to become good men. And so Price is willing to forego the endorsement to help these kids become good men. Um, and so, you know, he looks at Hank and he goes, he just goes, I just might, re I just might be the real deal, which for a moment there, I was like, he just might. But then I was like, don't trust him. Don't trust him, Gina. Don't do it. You're going to fall for it like you do every single time. Yeah. Okay. So one thing I found this guy's name, his name's Brett Gray. Gray. Brett Young is a country singer, I think. But yeah, that's why I was like, I don't think you mean Brett Young, but yes, Brett Gray is this kid's name. Just great actor. Um, he's really good. Yeah, absolutely crushed it. So, but yeah, on the price stuff, it's interesting because, like, if we're talking about the politics stuff, I'd rather have Price than Kelton or I can never remember Anne Hayes' character's name, but Anne Hayes' character's name. Brennan. Uh, Brennan. Brennan. God, yeah. But, like, so I'd rather have Price if we're going, like, politics route than either of them just because, like, I'm not into that fair stuff at all. So I'd rather have Price if we're doing that. But, yeah, 
when you're saying like when he shows up for cases sometimes and like tries to like put his two cents in, I'm like, dude, what are we doing? Like, she's like, no, stop, go away. Yeah, come back later. Yeah. He's like, yeah, he he's like the the thorn in your side. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Just, but I mean that shows me a lot that he was willing to forego the endorsement to help the kids. That shows me a lot, but he could also be a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah. But this is clearly, I mean, we're, we're heading in terms of like finale, right? With like this mayor race, like ramping up price is going to be heavily involved, obviously with his daughter coming in and whatever that's going to do. But like, this is clearly where we're going in terms of like finale territory. I would like to think so. Yes. I mean, we're not that far. We're, what, seven episodes away? Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. We're in an even season, right? What? We're in an even-numbered season, right? So usually somebody leaves. Yeah. Yikes. Dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Yeah. But so... I guess the last, well, besides some, like, random things to talk about at the end, but the last major thing we have to talk about, the Upstead moment that gave everyone all the feels. Oh, my God, this Upstead moment. Oh, my God. I, like, I, I would definitely went back and watched it, like, a couple of times. Just that scene alone. Yeah. Before I, like, yeah. stopped watching it. Like, oh, my God. Just a little context here. When Jay first chases Aiden, Aiden's got a gun and Aiden's scared. And so he gets him cornered finally and Aiden's got the gun and Jay's like, do not point that gun at me. Like, don't do this. Don't do it. Haley pops up behind Aiden and all it takes is a look. Jay just looks at Haley and shakes his head. And Haley's like, all right, fine. And she doesn't shoot. So it's after, once they get Aiden in during interrogation, that this moment happens. Brian, I'll let you take it away. Yeah, it's at the very end. And the whole, I mean, the whole situation has gone down. I mean, even, you know, they got, came in, you know, confessing. Like, everything, I mean, everything has gone down. And they're trying to figure out what's going to happen with Aiden and that other guy, the other kid that I don't remember his name. But that's not important. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so they're talking in the room where they can see into the air, inter- air interrogation room, but the interrogation room can't see into them. I don't know what there is n- name to that room, but that's where they are. <laughs> and, it's a two-way mirror, isn't it? Or a one-way mirror? Yeah, but, like, I don't... The room... Whatever. Anyway. The room with the two-way mirror. One-way... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So, they're in there, and Haley asks... No, Jay asks Haley... I don't remember his exact words, but basically, like, like, why did you believe in me? Or, like, why did you, like, put all your faith in me that I was going to, like, make the right decision? And she says, you know, she says, like, you looked at me and I got it. I trusted you. I trusted you from the day I met you. If I was going to follow someone blind, I'd follow you. It's the blue eyes, Haley. It's the eyes. It does it to us all, but also same, like... If I was going to follow someone blind, I would totally bird box it with Jay. But, like, oh, my God. She says that, and she just says it, like, so sincerely and just, you know, like, she means, I mean, she obviously does mean every word of it. But, like, every single word, like, you can tell, like, you can hear how much she means it. And he. Oh, yeah. 
wants to say something just like so bad i don't know what i don't know if he knows what he wants to say but like he wants to say something so bad but he like holds off you know and then they get interrupted so he holds like resists for now but like i thought it was interesting because allison says she's like you know in her email she was like why did jay look so completely confused like is it just him now figuring out how she feels do you think that's the moment where jay has figured out like how she feels about him and that like he might feel about her was that like the moment no no I didn't take that as confusion. I took that as, like, holy shit, it's kind of mutual. Yeah, I think it was definitely, like, I don't, it was definitely not confusion. I think that was the moment where he realized that, like, maybe she, like, she's super important to me. And, like, I think maybe it's more than just, like, friendship and a partnership now. I feel like he figured that out a while ago, though. I feel like, well. So then that's what I'm saying. Like, is say, that, do you think this is the moment that he just figured it out? Or like, what do you think this moment was? Was it simply him no, just. No, I don't think he. Go ahead. I, I, I don't think he's just figuring it out. I think he's, I think he realized that they moved even closer to finally just out and saying how they feel about each other. So do you think then this moment was simply him trying to figure out like the words to say to her and then they got interrupted and so he couldn't he resisted like saying whatever word jumble was gonna come out of his mouth yeah I yeah I could definitely see that because and I was thinking about this too I was like okay these two are just gonna have a really slow burn if they're gonna be something but I wonder if this is sort of bro code that Jay doesn't want to do anything to upset or disrespect Adam I don't know I don't know. I, I wonder what percentage of it is that. I wonder what percentage of it is him just, he, somewhere deep and down there, I think inside he knows, but he doesn't know how to express it. So he doesn't want to go too far too fast because yeah. he, I mean, unfortunately, you know, like he's probably just scared too, not only because of his feelings for Upton, but because of what happened and with Lindsay. Yeah. Yeah. And we actually got a question via Twitter. I got to look who it was from because, I mean, I loved it. It was so funny. But, um, oh, who was this from? I want to say her name was Jamie. I could be completely wrong. But I got a tweet late in the episode on when Wednesday we were watching. And the question was basically, does this upstead, upstead scene meet the criteria for her rickrolling him? Now, in a previous episode, I had talked about Upstead and I had mentioned, you know, I'm okay with them getting together, but I basically need Haley to rickroll him. I need Haley to sit him down and just be like, listen, never going to give you up, never going to let you down, like never going to turn around. I, I just need her to reassure him, like, I'm not going to do what Lindsay did to you. So does this scene meet the rickroll criteria? I think it might I don't think it fully meets it, but I think it satisfies some of it. Yeah. That's funny. I, like, took me a second to remember, like, what, I was like, what Rick Kroll criteria? Like, what the fuck are you talking about when you sent me that tweet? <laughs> and then you, like, I, you were like, what I was talking about on the podcast? And I was like, oh, yeah, that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. But this is definitely, like, if they don't kiss by the end of the season, I'm going to riot. Like, I think we're all going to riot. Like, we're definitely heading towards something. Yeah, it's pretty, 
I mean, they're, they're pouring it on thick, so I really hope that they're not going to fake us out. God, I hope not. I know, I know. And I'm trying to find who this tweet was from because, it, I, I mean, it made me laugh. I loved it. So It's in our text. It's in our, I'm scrolling back through our mentions now to find out and give proper credit. Oh, it's in our text. Cause... Hold on. Because you texted it to me. Oh, that's true. I did. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Oh, wait. Jamie. It was Jamie. I was correct. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It was yes, Jamie. Yes. Um, yeah. So then that's really the, and I mean, the whole crossover. We did have some like random general thoughts from some listeners that I feel like we should just end on. Um, some are crossover yeah. related. Some aren't. Um, what Allison G said, you know, I don't, her thoughts on the crossover were just, you know, I don't think any crossover or didn't think any crossover could match the intensity of the one in the fall, but this was a great fire PD episode. Love how they tied it into the politics storyline on PD and that it turned out most of the characters involved were good people in bad situations instead of it just being a firefighter that goes rogue story. Agree. Yeah. Agree. Um, we got a tweet from Leia who said, what is your take on the political bend on PD that PD's taking this year? And then I'll read the rest of it. So what do you think? What's your take on the politics? of pd i like it it's adding another layer and it's it's interesting to see how it's influencing the cases because you've really got to kind of take a look at that because you know what voight might choose in one instance you know i mean even the case with kevin um two weeks ago you know some of the moves he made were based on their image and you know politically motivated and things like that whereas you know in an earlier season it may not have been influenced by things like that so i like it yeah i definitely like it i think it grounds the show in a little bit in more reality, um, mm -hmm. which is just sometimes really nice, you know, because sometimes in not just these shows, but in just any show that's not like set in the specific year, you know, it doesn't constantly mention like 2018 or 2019 or whatever. Like it can be hard to forget that like this is supposed to be taking in place in like our world today. And so when they add mm -hmm. things like politics or stuff like that in it, it just it allows it to be, like, bring you back as a viewer to, like, oh, yeah, like, this is something that's actually happening in our, well, in a fictional world, but, like, could supposedly take place in our world today. And I think that's just what the politics storyline does for me. And, again, yeah. really liking the price part of it for the most part. I mean, granted, we haven't seen Kelton or Brennan in a couple weeks, but, I mean, I know we're not done with them yet. So I'm not a fan of that part, though. I mean, everybody's got to have a nemesis, though, right? Yeah, I know. Um, but then, so the rest of her question was, has the thing with Antonio just disappeared? Ruzik took the fall, but do you think it will come back to haunt the team by the end of the season? I think, oh, well, I'm kind of hoping, actually. I'm kind of hoping this is one of those storylines they took on and they were like, never mind, we don't have time for it, and just kind of dumped it. They've done it before. And I, I don't usually actively root for it, but I'm kind of hoping that's the case. Why? Because. Because. <laughs> just because. I, I don't really have a good reason. I just didn't like it. I don't know. And I mean, if we had, could have just had a scene between Ruzik and Antonio, like, talking about this, and Antonio being like, why the hell did you do that? And then Ruzik kind of, like, telling him why. I think I would have liked that instead of just, like, Voight telling him to do something, Ruzik going against it, Haley getting mad, Jay being like, what the fuck is happening right now? You know, I if they were to drop it, I would not be mad. 
See, here's the thing. I wish they would, I'm okay, I'd be okay with them keeping the Ruzik part down, but, like, I would like an Antonio-centered episode, like, some kind of follow-up to the Antonio half of it. Like, yeah. we haven't, we've barely seen Antonio this season. I mean, we're 15 episodes in. We've barely seen Antonio this season. I mean, he's there for the most part. But, like, in terms of, like, him getting a storyline, like, he's not really had anything this season. Like, I like Antonio as a character, so I want more of him. But, like, I just, like, I can't imagine, like, how they go through something or how they show something that's so character-changing and, like, have yet to bring it back up. I wonder if it's going to come back up for the finale. Not the drug problem, but the ruse. I don't stuff. know. I wonder if that's going to come back up and they're they're going to need to lean on either Kelton or Price to fix it. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I wish, I hope we get an Antonio episode at some point. I don't think we will this yeah. season. Like, I mean, we don't, again, we don't have that many more episodes left, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, February's almost done. Like, we've got March and April and, yeah, like, May. Part of May. It's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, time flies, man. Also, does Antonio even know that his sister is in Puerto Rico? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Um, and then just last question from Haley G. After watching him with Aiden, what is Jay going to be like as a dad? Jay's going to be the best dad. <sighs> yes. He's going to be attentive and the best, and he's going to be terrified, but he's still going to do a good job. Jay's going to be the best dad. Like, can't sound. He's totally going to be the best dad. Yes. Yes. And speaking of Jamie, there was a question that kind of sneaked in there at the last minute that I saw. So Jamie had a question. It says, post-crossover thought, do you think Fire is better at balancing case of the week with interpersonal stories because they have downtime between calls? Versus PD, where it would be weird if they were like, hey, there's a murderer on the loose, but let's talk about feelings. That's a really interesting thought. I I think that's, yeah, that's a really good question. I think so. Like, I don't know if I would have necessarily thought about that. But yeah. And I think it's why Fire is able to pull off the lighthearted moment so well. Yeah. That's a really good question. It is a really good question. And I think you could almost argue, too, I mean, granted, the med stuff is just a whole different thing, but, like, you can almost argue that's why med does it a little more often than PD as well, just because you're in a, there's not as much downtime as, say, on fire, but there is a lot of, like, waiting around for, like, test results on med. Like, and waiting around for, you know, this scan to happen or waiting around for this to, you know, X, Y, and Z. So there is, like, a little bit more waiting around on med, too, which is why I think you see a little bit more of the personal conversations happening every now and then than you do on PD. Yeah, it's a good point. It is a really good – that's an interesting question, Jamie. I've never thought about that, but I think you're right. Yeah. Good one. But, yeah. Any other notes on the crossover? No, I think that's it. I'm ex- I'm excited to see. I mean, so we have what? 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. We have seven more episodes. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. It's still a lot, even though it's not a lot. 
at the same time. Yeah. No, it is. It's just, like, when you see it, we're like, holy shit, we're on 15. Like, where did the season go? But I was looking, Derek was talking about in his Q&A today, because we're recording this on Sunday, um, someone had asked him, like, had they written the finale yet? And he said, no, they're on 20. And I think they know what's going to happen in the finale, at least on Fire's part. Um, but I think he said they're actually on, like, writing script 20. So. Got it. Okay. It's coming. Yeah, it's coming. Maybe start the mental preparation now. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I'm sure they'll have, there'd be, like, at least a couple weeks off in between, because obviously we're not just going for seven more yeah. weeks, because that would put us at the end of April, so. Yeah. Crazy. Well, I think that's a wrap for today. As always, you guys know where to find us. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr. We're Meet Us at Molly's right across the board. Email us anytime about anything. Meet us at Molly's at gmail.com. Again, we watch other TV shows. I'm going through Brooklyn Nine-Nine right now. I love it. It's hilarious. Um, yeah, we watch other shows. You guys can talk to us about anything. Our inbox is a safe space. Uh, if you like the show, which we really hope you do, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate that. And yeah, follow us individually on Twitter. I am at Gina Watches TV. Bryna? I am at BrynaKate13. And we're back on a normal schedule this week, thankfully. So you will hear from us again on Friday at the end of the week. And we will talk to you guys then. <laughs>